Tom Bernard Show with Andy Brant Bernard and Mike Bellina. And we'll be right back. Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? At, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Walzer Automotive is a Minnesota family-owned business. It started in the 50s. It's grown by leaps and bounds, especially in the past few years, and they now have 23 dealerships spread across two states. The Walzer way includes upfront, no-haggle pricing on every single new and used vehicle they sell. If you change your mind, no problem. Check out Walzer's three-day return and 30-day exchange policy. I'm a customer, my family are customers, and many of my friends have bought cars from them. The Walzer way is really different, and I know you'll be pleasantly surprised. For great deals on new or used Acura, Audi, Buick, BMW, Chevrolet, Chrysler, Dodge, GMC, Honda, Hyundai, Jaguar, Jeep, Land Rover, Lexus, Mazda, Mercedes, Mini, Nissan, Porsche, Ram, Subaru, or Toyota, go to Walzer.com, Walzer Automotive Group, Walzer.com. Song. I feel so bad. Yeah. Yeah. I feel so blue. I was seeing those notes to see if they matched up or, they, or is there still a delay? Just a tiny bit. Not, not as bad as before. Tiny bit. It's never going to be singable. But this, sure. uh, this, I mean, sounds really, really good. We got a totally new router all set up and Andy installed all this equipment and it's wonderful. Yeah, their Life router was horrible. It was horrendous. It was yesterday, honest to God, Melina, this is what you sounded like. You guys sounded like to us. Thank <laughs> God. Yeah, it was seriously awful. It was really bad. Well, that's what I hear every time I, uh, you know, have L.A. Nick in studio, so I understand. Oh, there you go. There you have it. Uh, you guys both have to tell the truth on this because I'll tell the truth, too. A new online poll matched up a bunch of competing brands like Coke versus Pepsi and had people choose the one they prefer. There are 12 matchups and how people voted. See if you agree with them. So tell me, do uh, you guys like Coke or Pepsi? Coke, generally. Uh, I have not been drinking pop, but when I was, I preferred Pepsi. You preferred Pepsi. 76% said Coke, and see, I'll, 
I'll be the well. It's not a tiebreaker because I like regular Coke, but I like Diet Pepsi. Isn't that weird? Hmm. I in a way, I guess uh, that doesn't surprise you. Seventy six percent said Coke. Nope. Number two, McDonald's or Burger King? Burger King. McDonald's. Definitely. Okay, 78% said they prefer McDonald's. Well, see, to me, they're completely different. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, they're, they're McDonald's burgers and Burger King burgers are very different. Yeah, they're very different. But see, now I, I thought mean, uh, McDonald's, McDonald's was supposed to be using fresh meat or whatever, or grilling it now. That's what I heard. Are they? Are they? Yeah. I don't know, I guess. All I know is I went to Burger King last week, and I was sick for like five hours after. So <laughs> You're not used to it? Still, yeah, no, I uh, haven't been eating fast food, and it's, I don't know, something about the oil they use or something, it just yeah. does not work. I really like those uh, McDonald's breakfast sandwiches, the McGriddles. Oh, those yeah. Those things are delicious. But yeah, Bur- McDonald's burgers and Burger King burgers, I like them both, but they're completely different. So, yeah, 78% said they prefer McDonald's. Number three, well, this isn't even close. Netflix or Hulu? Yeah, everyone's going to say Netflix. I have both, so. Yeah, Yeah, me too. But Hulu runs commercials. Yep. Not if you pay. There's there's a regular subscription, and then there's a no-ads subscription. Oh, there is? For a little bit more. I don't know how much it is compared to Netflix, though. Although, on Hulu, the commercial breaks are at the most 90 seconds. So who cares? Let's see. Hulu plans $8 for ads, uh, $12 for no ads, whereas Netflix... Doesn't ever run any ads. Yeah. Netflix has no ads, but it is also $14. Yeah, so there you go. But do you remember last year when Hulu updated their menu? Because when you search for something, it's so stupid now. Like, you cannot resume oh. what you were watching, or, like, if you wanted to search for something. It... Ooh, I don't like that. Yeah. So you can't resume? Well, you can, but let's say, like, uh, like one of the reasons I have Hulu is I'll go back and watch Seinfeld sometimes. But if you want to watch Seinfeld, you can only watch the episode you were watching before. Let's say if you wanted to jump around to a different season or a different episode that's not in order, yeah. you have to go research Seinfeld. Yeah, I don't like that. Uh, so, yeah, Netflix crushed 92% of the vote. Netflix. Instagram or Snapchat, I've never been on either one, so I can't vote. Neither have I, so. Yeah, no. I'm not a 14-year-old girl. (laughs) Okay, so 68% said Instagram is better, but we wouldn't. No. Yeah. Uh, I can't vote on this one either. Number five is Marvel or DC. Yeah. Eh. Same here. I can't vote. Don't care. (laughs) Marvel is the overwhelming favorite with 83% of the vote. Uh, This wouldn't be for us anyway. Nickelodeon or the Disney Channel. (laughs) 61% 61% say Disney. What did this... Was this like in a middle school <laughs> poll? <laughs> it must have been. I guess it must have been. I didn't, I didn't realize that, but I guess it must have been. Number seven, Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts coffee? I've never even been to Dunkin' Donuts. So um, I guess I can't vote. Uh, well, if we're doing just straight coffee, actually, yeah, Dunkin', Brother, or Dunkin Donuts has good coffee. But uh, for Maybe. every other drink, yeah, I'd go Starbucks. All right, 72% went with Starbucks. Mm. Uh, and once again, these two stores are completely different and appeal to different people. Number eight is Walmart or Target. Target. Target, yeah, by Target. far. Easily. Well, 75% said they like Target better, but Target's a much better store than Walmart. Yeah. I've been to Walmart once in my life. <laughs> Seriously. Me too, actually. Uh, I've been to Target eight billion times, but I've been to Walmart once. Uh, Nike or Adidas. 
Nike. Yeah, so 65% said Nike. It's American. Number 10, Ben and... Yeah, well, that's true. Number 10, Ben and Jerry's or Haagen-Dazs? Ben and Jerry's. Yeah. Yeah, Ben and Jerry's has great flavors. I like Haagen-Dazs, too, but 74% went with Ben and Jerry's. Uh, You guys should both qualify for this one. I do not. Number 11, PlayStation or Xbox? PlayStation. Uh, Mike? I guess I don't even really game. I haven't in a long time, but I guess Xbox. All right, because it's very close. 56% say PlayStation. Yeah, it's not surprising. And the closest one of them all, Pizza Hut or Domino's? Really? Hmm. I'll go Domino's. Yeah, I didn't think Pizza Hut was that popular anymore. What do I know? What are you going with, Andy? Well, Domino's. So I would go with Domino's, too. 52% said Domino's. 48% said Pizza Hut. So maybe Pizza Hut's improved their pizza. I mean, it's a possibility they they really improved it, so, you know. But none of those shock me. There's not one of those I say, oh, that's really shocking that that came out that way, right? Yeah, that's true. Oh, God, apparently I'm appearing somewhere. I didn't even know I was appearing. Okay. Okay, huh? All right, I'll see you around 10. All right, bye-bye. I was just thinking of Domino's. Listen, uh, Carrie's not going to make it home for dinner, so I'm going to order us some pizza. From where? From Sal's. Sal's? Have you lost your mind? <laughs> okay, not Sal's. And from where? A little neighborhood joint called Domino's. Domino's. <laughs> Domino's? <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's very funny because Chris Domino was on the Cakey Morning <laughs> Show. Yep. Chris Domino. I'm going to start calling him Chris Domino, but he doesn't spell it that way. It's, it's D-I-M-I-N-O. Domino. It's a neighborhood joint called Domino's. <laughs> uh, Joe from Louisville says Pizza Hut. So have they improved? Send me a text, will you, Joe? They, uh, too sweet. A, a I pizza. can't stand sugar in pizza. Yeah, sugar in pizza does bother me, too. So, but maybe they improved the sauce. Possibly. Possibly the uh, situation uh, there. But, you know, any pizza works for me. There are pizzas that I prefer over other pizzas, and some pizzas are fantastic. But I can't really say much pizza. I've I've had horrible pizza, but not very often. If I can taste the sweetness, I can't eat it. I'd rather just throw it away. I understand what you're saying. Now, it's not worth saying the name of the place, but uh, I remember one of the last times we ordered pizza in studio. It was not that good. It was a local place that people love, but maybe they were just having a bad day in the kitchen. Yeah, that might have had a bad... What flavor did we have? Uh, I think we just had, like, I don't know, pepperoni or... No, it might have been just sausage and... Uh, yeah, I can't remember, but it was not good. We all kind was of... Was it the one that's downtown or the one that's over on the uh, over in Dinkytown? Uh, downtown. Uh, yeah, you're right. That was yep. not very good. <laughs> and I don't know why that is. Maybe they found out it was me and they peed on it or something. <laughs> This is a great story. Julian Edelman of the New Young England Patriots may very well have stopped a school shooting. Here's what happened. Someone messaged Julian on Instagram and told him, quote, dude, there's a kid in your comment section that says he's going to shoot up a school. I think you should uh, alert the authority. And by the way, it says the authority. It doesn't say authorities. Uh, Julian immediately notifies his assistant who located the comment. It said, quote, I'm going to shoot up uh, my school. 
watched the news. Julian's assistant called the cops, who identified the would-be shooter as a teenager from Port Huron, Michigan. And apparently the threat was real. The kid had two rifles ready to go. He was arrested, taken to a juvenile detention center. Julian said the person who first alerted him to the comment is the real hero. He's going to send him a care package. So I don't know what that means, a care package, but apparently means something. Uh, Joe said, yes, they have improved the flavor of Pizza Hut pizza. I love their crust. I don't taste any sweetness in the sauce. So, yes, they've, uh, they've improved it greatly, apparently. So that's good news. Yeah, no sweet sauce. I mean, sweet sauce, ugh. I, I, there are some pizza places where you taste it. It's like, how much sugar did you put in? Yeah. You don't put sugar in pizza sauce. Some people just love that sugary pizza. What the hell's wrong with you? It's the absolute worst thing. Some matter with you. That's all I have to say. You know what I mean? Um, in my mind, the hardest part of driving is staying in your lane while mooning that jerk who cut you off three miles back. Oh, that's nice. They wrote a joke in there. A new survey asked 2,000 people what the hardest driving maneuvers are, and parallel parking took the top spot. Do you guys have trouble parallel parking? No. Nope. I did when I was like 20. I mean, it's not that hard to do. No. It does throw me off, though, if it's a one-way and I have to parallel park on the left side. Yeah, that, that you know. is a whole different experience. <laughs> yeah, I won't do that. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different deal, trying to parallel park like an England or something, whatever, <laughs> you know. Uh, parallel parking is the hardest thing to do, they say. Uh, 15% said they feel anxious when they have to do it, and 47% have botched it so badly they just gave up and <laughs> drove off. Here are the 10. Okay, so basically, isn't the maneuver to pull up where it looks like there's about two feet left between the car on your right and the front of your car? You crank the wheel all the way to the right. You then begin to back in, and about halfway in, you crank it all the way to the left, mm-hmm. and it'll slide right in the spot, yeah. right? Yeah. Yep. I mean, so it's not that hard no. to do. But I've come out of the podcast, and my... <laughs> right rear wheel's been up on the curb. So what do I know? Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, that's the so same much, ten. Given the people no, that park around true. this building, the space between meters, it's ridiculous. I know. There's not much room. That That's very true. It is unbelievable. Well, that means they can cram more meters in there. Yeah, that's exactly what they did, too, is crammed as many meters in as they could. Uh, parallel parking came number one. Reversing into a parking spot, I don't find that hard at all. Reversing around a corner, yeah, I probably, well, but with technology in, in, in my car, because both, I have a 2013 Mustang and a 2014 Jaguar, and, you know, so they're, they're older cars, but they both have that uh, backing camera thing, so it's not that hard for me to do, because you just look at the camera and follow the directions. It's not, so it, I really am not doing it, the car is basically doing it. Yes, I'm accelerating and turning the steering wheel, but the car is showing me where to go. Uh, making a three-point turn in the middle of the street. I don't know why that would be hard. So basically anything that involves going backwards. Yeah, I guess that's true. Pulling forward into a parking spot is hard? <laughs> what? People are stupid. How the hell hard? How is that hard? Maybe for driving like an F-150. Well, yeah, When I was gigantic. driving that thing, I could not park anywhere near anyone else. That is true. Reversing in a straight line. Yeah, people have a very, very mm-hmm. hard time. They have to turn the wheel for some reason. They just ha- they can't leave the wheel alone. They have to turn it. Getting close enough to the curb when you park. 
going around a traffic circle is easy. That's, you mean like a, a roundabout? Mm-hmm. That's easy as hell. You just yield, and then you get off the the exit you want to get off. Well, consider how hard people find reacting to a green light. Well, that's true. People just can't drive. Of course, they're staring at their phone the whole time, so that's a whole different deal. I honestly think 50% of people with a license should not be able to drive. Yeah, you're right. It is 40%. It is 80%. And on top of that, Andy, have children. Yeah, God. Well, well, like... like, um, that one guy was saying uh, all but one of the recent school shooters had no father. Yeah, that's right. Single-parent uh, households are not yeah. good news. That is what they said. All but one had no father. That is terrible. How about the latest shooter, though, was a woman? Yep, yeah. she was a far-left Muslim woman. Who hated YouTube. Really, uh <laughs> Mixing things up. And she was, that's right. She was a far-left Muslim woman. Yep. She, How does uh, that work? She was a vegan yeah. and everything. She, well, she was also quite clearly mentally ill. Yeah, she was mentally ill. That was her problem. Yeah. This was like her... Well, the reason she did it was because her videos were uh, losing views, and she believed that YouTube was... Uh, was like, shutting her down. Yeah, yeah. So she went and... Tried to shoot it up, but failed. Yeah, she thought, and she ended up killing herself. Good job. We'll be back. Tom Bernard Show. Did you know that 60% of people over the age of 60 are starting to experience cloudy, blurry, or dim vision due to cataracts? Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Eye Care. Whiting Clinic is best known for their fabulous LASIK results. You've heard me rave about them for years. But did you know they're also experts in cataract surgery? Yes, indeed. And I'm here to tell you about my wonderful experience having cataract surgery at Whiting Clinic. I'm at that age when my vision started to fade, so called up the folks at Whiting Clinic, and they helped me out right away. My cataract surgery was super easy, and thanks to the Whiting Clinic, my vision is top-notch once again. Whiting Clinic has the most advanced lens technology options, so I can see far away and up close without wearing any glasses. If you want to learn more about your options for cataract surgery and clearer vision, attend one of Whiting Clinic's cataract seminars. Call Whiting Clinic at 855-554-2020 to reserve today. Space is limited, so don't delay. That's 855-555-2020 to learn more about your cataract surgery options at Whiting Clinic. Hi, this is Tom. If you spend any time at the lake, you can relate to the pure joy of hanging out on the dock. You, family, friends, and the calm of the water. If this sounds like heaven, you're going to want a flow dock. Flow docks are rock solid with double bracing to eliminate side-to-side sway. And get this, you can install, level, and remove your flow dock without even getting into the water. You see, Flo's passion to invent a better way to make life easier comes through in every product they make, right down to Flo boat lifts that are quieter, faster, and effortless to install and use. Are you starting to see a pattern here? Flo is about making things easy, meaning you have more time to enjoy being at the lake. Isn't that why you go there in the first place? See for yourself why they say they've been perfecting leisure time since 1983. See them at F-L-O-E-I-N-T-L dot com. Flow docks and lifts. A better way. We are back. Tom Bernard Show, ladies and gentlemen. TJ English will join us in about 15 minutes. Looking forward to that. The shooting at YouTube's headquarters this week has people talking about what they do if something like that happened on their job. So here's what experts say. You're, you basically have three options if there is an active shooter at your workplace. 
Uh, my first option, of course, would be to pull my handgun and blow their brains yeah, out. Yeah, shoot back is yeah. probably so, the best option. That's my option. You, you come into my workplace with a rifle, and I will shoot you. And that's just how it is because I have a license to conceal carry. So I wouldn't do that if I were you. Uh, option number one, evacuate at work today. Figure out at least two escape routes just in case something ever happens. Don't forget windows if you're on the first or second floor. If you're up higher than that, stairs are better than an elevator. Well, actually, it wouldn't be all that comfortable, but you can jump as far as from a fifth floor window. I don't you, know about that. Yeah, you can. If, you're not, unless you're if you don't mind breaking your legs. Well, it's better than being shot to death. I suppose. Well, you can jump 77 feet. Uh, as long as you land on something soft. Even if you land on something soft over 77 feet, it's likely you're going to die. Median so, height leading to death is about 49 feet. 49 feet? Really? 100% of victims die after falling 85 feet. 85 so feet, So eight yeah. stories and you're absolutely going to die. Yes, you are going to die. Uh, four stories is you may or may not die. Really? Yes. So so one or two stories is about it, huh? Yeah. All right. I mean, it all depends on what's down there, obviously. But um, yeah. That's if you true. can land in, like, mud or something. That wouldn't be all bad. So, yeah, uh, stairs are better than an elevator. If you do run, leave all your stuff behind. Keep your hands visible in case you run into any cops. And help other people escape if you can, but don't try to move anyone who's unconscious or can't walk on their own. Oh, that's nice. Why don't we just leave the one guy with the one leg, just leave him behind, don't help him. Number two option is to hide, or better yet, deny the shooter access to your location. That means hide where they can't see you, lock any doors, and barricade them with something heavy like a couch if possible. Then don't do anything to call attention to yourself. Stay quiet and call 911 if you can. Then put your phone on silent and wait for your chance to get out. Or if you feel like you're safer where you are, then stay there. And stay low, but don't lie down flat in case you need to resort to your last option. Option number three is to fight back, but only as a last resort. In that case, be aggressive and use whatever you can as a weapon. Crouching is better than lying down because if they burst into the room, you can jump out and surprise them. But remember, if you ever have a chance to get away, that's always your best option. Well, everybody would use that as their first option, wouldn't they? To just get away? Yes. I would think so. A lot of people who think they're tough uh, don't know what they would do in a uh, panic situation. Yeah, I, stu- I guess this, believe that. Uh, the history has shown that it's almost always run. Yeah, running is probably the best. Yeah, I would say that's true. The running is always the best option. Just get the hell out of there. And I don't know why people don't more often uh like hide at the on the other side of a doorway, and then when the shooter comes through, then ambush them there. Because right. I don't, I know none of these shooters are going to be you know like trained to uh, know how to breach a doorway or anything like that. Yeah, not not much. So yeah, that's very choke true. points and getting into uh, melee range are your best bet because at melee range, a gun is actually a detriment. Yeah, I could see that. And explain what, to people what melee range is. Uh, hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, hand-to-hand combat. All you really have to do is get your hand on their wrist and, you know, keep their hand down and you're good to go. Indeed. Get them off balance if you possibly can. That's always the best thing. Instead of just standing there slugging it out, see if you can get them off balance because that's... And by the way, this is a trick that was taught to me by an MMA fighter. 
if you're at a bar and somebody starts yelling at you across the room and they think they're a tough guy and they come running over to you, the best thing you can do is, as they're getting to you, take two steps backwards because their brain has already adjusted the distance between you and them. And when you change that distance, it confuses them. And therefore, you can sock them first, <laughs> which is a good thing because you know you're going to step back and he doesn't. It actually works, too. I didn't believe it. I said, there's no way. But then he showed me, and I, I tried it with him, and it actually works because you know you're moving, and he doesn't. You just got me thinking of that scene with Casey Affleck in Manchester by the Sea when he's at the bar, and he eyes those guys oh, across yeah. the bar. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he does, does he do that? Yeah. I think he does. Well, I think he actually is. I, the, I think so. Yeah, I think he he's does the do aggressor. that. Move. Yeah, he is the aggressor. Yeah. He's the aggressor in it. God, that's a great movie. Yeah. A lot of, some people didn't like the ending. The ending is not the greatest ending I've ever seen, but when he's coming home from the grocery store, oh, oh my God. Oh. That is one of the one of the worst scenes in the history of movies. I mean, one of the greatest, but one of the worst scenes I've ever seen in a movie. And even though she's only in Manchester it for about, you know, 10 minutes, Michelle Williams, when uh, oh. she runs into him, you know, years after in the alley. Yeah, yeah, she runs into him in the alley. It's a great scene. Casey Affleck, he's in a lot of trouble for feeling up women, isn't he? Yep. Is he? What the hell is he doing? I mean, what are those guys doing? Here's what I don't understand. Uh, you know, uh, who's the best-looking guy in Hollywood? Like Brad Pitt, is he the Mr. Charming? Uh, who is you think? I... Or is there who's the best-looking guy in Hollywood? It's not really something I spend yeah. a lot of time thinking about. Yeah, I know. About. That's why I can't think of yeah. anybody. But it always I comes out every we year. just don't it's, think about that. What is it? Sexiest Man Alive. Yeah, Sexiest Man Alive or whatever. Who won the most recent one? I have no idea. But I'm not well, exactly Brad Pitt, I'll just say that. But uh, why do you have to force yourself on women? You can find plenty of women who would have sex with you. Uh, What's the problem? 2017 was Blake Shelton. Oh, good God. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Uh, yeah, it's the guy that's on The Voice. Well, still don't know who that is. Yeah, you wouldn't know who that is. Yeah, I, I didn't think so. doesn't make any sense to me but what the, I, but I don't understand it whole but I was told that it's a power issue it has nothing to do with sex it has only to do with power and that's why candy asses like Ryan Seacrest do it he's got a lot of problems apparently now about five women have come out and said he did it to them so I think Ryan might have a few more problems I just love all these Hollywood people that tell us what to do ethically in our lives oh to be ethical you need to do this yeah well you're grabbing everybody's crotch yeah thanks i really need uh, advice from you you dirt bag if you rob the same place twice you have to assume the people will handle it differently the second time right a few weeks ago a man attacked a food truck owner named Girasak boonlert in new orleans and robbed him what was he on tatooine i don't know he was in new orleans hmm. Uh, then a week later, he went back to rob the same truck and the same guy. Only Jurassic, uh had made some changes after the first robbery. Specifically, he'd gotten himself a gun. So the second time the guy came, Jurassic fired a shot at him. The cops didn't say whether the robber was hit, but they did say he was able to run away. And now they're trying to track him down. You tried to rob the same guy twice? Yeah, I think the first time someone gets robbed is when they get a weapon. Mm, yeah, I've never been robbed, but I still got a weapon. I don't need it. I, well, uh, especially in New Orleans. 
New Orleans is still one of the most crime-ridden cities in the country. Oh, God, yes, it is. Uh, there, are, Man, you get off the main drag, you get off Bourbon Street or any of those streets yeah. like that, it is dangerous as hell. Same with Las Vegas. People don't realize how dangerous Vegas is off the Strip US or cities off of Fremont Street. By violent crime, let's see. Minneapolis is... It's it, not that low. It's not that low. You're absolutely right. And we don't report all our violent crime either. Um, That's the other part of it. It's like oh, we yes. don't tell the truth about that. Um, Baltimore, Detroit. Is actually higher than New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, Baltimore, Detroit. Is that right? Um, Detroit, yes. Baltimore, yes. Yeah, there you go. St. Louis, Memphis, Milwaukee. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Milwaukee has been getting really crappy really fast, and I don't know why. Yeah, it really has. Absolutely. Oakland, Kansas City, Stockton. Kansas City's dangerous? I know. God, I love the plaza in Kansas City. It's a beautiful area. St. Louis. What the hell is that all about? Uh, Oh, St. Louis. That's number one. Yeah, St. Louis is really dangerous. But yeah, Minneapolis is like number 20 ish. Yeah, that's not good. No. Uh, safer than Anchorage. It's safer than Anchorage. Oh boy! Now we've now we've made some strides. Yeah, I remember again when I was a teenager in my twenties. Even I would say all the way up to mid nineteen eighties, Minneapolis downtown was very very safe. Uh, and then all of a sudden, it got really dangerous, and every day it gets more dangerous downtown Minneapolis. Well, the good news, is, as it were, is that Minneapolis's violent crime that they prefer is robbery, not murder or rape. So. No, that's good. That helps. So, yeah, if, I mean, if... Well, actually, no, that's not true. Our rape rate is actually quite high. It is quite high. It's yeah. actually the fourth in the country. Fourth highest rape in the country. Yay. That's great. After That's wonderful. New Orleans. So there you go. Uh, Joe wants to know if there are any sanctuary cities. Sanctuary cities? Oh, you mean like in this list? Yeah. I don't, what's a sanctuary city? Los Angeles, San Francisco. All, San Francisco is not a good place to be. No, it's not. No. Plus, the people are jerks there anyway. I'll never forget that, Andy. When you were born, your mom and I took a trip out to... Uh, with the KQ Morning Show out to um, to San Francisco. We're going to go see the Twins play the A's at Oakland uh, County Stadium or at Oakland Alameda Stadium or what the hell ever it was called or is called. But your mom and I are pushing you in a stroller down the street and this car with a couple of guys and it goes by and he rolls down the window and he goes, effing breeders. That sounds like San Francisco. <laughs> Breeders? Hepatitis. How do you think you got here? Yeah, STD capital of the world. Yeah, well, there is that. Yeah, Breeders. That's where Breeders, you're absolutely right, sir. And I'm, I, I feel really bad about it, too, having had two children. Uh, my, my wife and I replaced ourselves. Uh, how are you doing? Okay. How about how, How's the drunk woman doing with 11 kids? How, how's yeah, that working out? Seriously. I just love that people talk about uh, about climate change. Stop having so many kids. How about that? That'd be good. Well, we went down the list before. You take my wife's family and my family. We are about half as many as we were. Because there were five in her family and, and 12 total. Five in her family and seven in my family. And I believe we've... When you, you know, put spouses into that across the board of my brothers and sisters and her brothers and sisters, there are about half as many people. So 
There were 24, and now I think we replace it with like 12 children out of 24, 24 people. So don't talk to me about global warming, all right? Don't talk to me about climate change. We did everything we could, you bastards. You heard me. You heard what I had to say about that. You know what that sound means? It means that TJ joined us a little mm-hmm. early, uh-huh. which I don't think is a bad thing if it works out for him. Well, technically, we're a little late. No, we're not. It's 2.33. Four. No, it's not. Oh, it just turned 34. You're absolutely right. We're a minute late. When you're right, Andy, you're right. <laughs> when you're right, you're right, Andy. That's all I have to say. TJ, how you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Marvelous. Things are good. Uh, do you mind if we schmooze for a couple of minutes, and then we'll take about a 90-second break and then come back and finish the uh, the interview? Is that all right with you? Do what you got to do. Do. I like that. Do what you got to do. That's a wonderful thing. TJ English, uh, the corporation... An epic story of the Cuban-American underworld. This ought to be fascinating. A fascinating, cinematic, multi-generational history of the Cuban mob in the U.S. Let me guess. Is the headquarters in Miami? Is that a possibility? Um. What happened? Nothing happened. Could he not hear me? Oh, oh, I'm here. I'm here. Was that for me? Yeah, that was for you, sir. I'm sorry. I thought, yeah, yeah. I, um... The reason I have to ask you a question. Well, you know what? We'll talk about this when we when we get back from the break. But I just I want to talk about uh, right now. What I would like to do is promote the book, "The Corporation: An Epic Story of the Cuban American Underworld: A Fascinating Cinematic Multi Generational History of the Cuban Mob in the U.S. from America's Top Chronicler of Organized Crime." How did you? You know, I got to be honest with you, TJ, because you, you and I have talked before. Because I do the uh, KQRS Morning Show as well, and you've been on that show. Yes. How did you choose that? Once you pick a more dangerous lifestyle, TJ, I mean, think about that. Choosing to... Well, you know, I started as a journalist, and it's the job of a journalist to tell the stories that haven't been told or seemingly can't be told. That That is the challenge yeah. for a journalist. So I wound up writing these stories about the criminal underworld. I think it's wonderful. We're going to take that very quick break, and then we got... You have 15 minutes to be with us after that? Is that good? Of course, yes. Magnificent. We'll be right back, sir, Tom Bernard Show. It's Tom telling you how easy it's been for me to lose weight on the Nutramost weight loss plan. I've started up another round at the new Nutramost Plymouth location, and those unwanted pounds are going fast. I've lost over 34 pounds. Nutramost is so easy, and they guarantee that you'll lose 20 pounds or more in just 40 days. There's no exercise, shots, drugs, prepackaged food, and I'm never hungry. Nutramost has helped me change my life, and I know they can help you, too. Nutramost of Plymouth is hosting a second free informational dinner. Learn how to have success losing weight just like me. Neil Sheehy, Nutramost client and owner who played nine years in the NHL and is an agent to some of the NHL's current top players, will be at the dinner, and so will I, actually. It's Monday, April 30th, 6 p.m. at Jake City Grill in Plymouth, located around the corner from Nutramost, just off Highway 55 and 494. Space is limited. Call 763-333-7337 to register. That's 763-333-7337. I'm here with my real estate agent, Chris Lindahl. And after seeing what he did for me, I asked if he had something that would help our listeners. Chris, what do you got? We have something very special for KQ listeners. April 16th through the 18th, the Chris Lindahl team is hosting our SellerWorkshop.com series, where we're going to teach you how to net between thirty dollars to $60,000 more on your home sale. And the best part is it's absolutely free. So that sounds great, Chris, but what's the catch? 
Tom, here's what I'll share with you. The number one core value at the Crystal team is to be generous. I have a teaching degree, and this is my passion to educate homeowners in the Twin Cities on how to sell your house the right way so you don't end up leaving tens of thousands of dollars on the table going through the traditional real estate process. So go to sellerworkshop.com for times and locations and to sign up for your free ticket. The seller workshops are happening April 16th through the 18th. Seating is limited and trust me, they sell out fast. Visit sellerworkshop.com or call 763-401-SOLD. Listen to you, Molina. I got to tell you something, TJ. TJ English, our uh, special guest, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, nice Sicilian kid playing that music in the background. What do you think of that? That works for me. Uh, who is who, who is that in the in that music? Yeah, who is that in the music, Molina? Who's this thing? It's actually named uh, Joe. I Cuba. mean, I like that's that's Boogaloo. His, his name is Joe Joe Cuba. Yep. Oh, Joe Cuba, of course. Yeah. Very nice. There you go. TJ, I have to ask you a question before we talk about uh, uh, the corporation. Have you ever written a book that's yes. not a huge bestseller? <laughs> Every book I've ever read by is a huge bestseller. Well, you know, um, thank you for that. Um, not all of them have been huge bestsellers. I think what's happened in the course of publishing these books is you you develop a readership and uh, um, you develop a following and there's certain expectations that people have from from books that I publish and that if they feel I've delivered then uh, then they buy those books ladies and gentlemen we're talking to TJ English who wrote Havana Nocturne one of the best books I've ever read Patty Whack the Savage uh, City the Westies born to kill my god everything is you've done well sir yeah. Well, thank you. It's a, a, it's a nice way to make a living. It is a nice way to make it. But Havana, i got to tell you honestly, they're all great, but Havana Nocturne, what a phenomenal, excellent, excellent job, as a matter of fact. Uh, by the mid-1980s, the criminal underworld of the United States had become an ethic polyglot. One of the most powerful illicit organizations was none other than the Cuban mob, known on both sides of the law as the corporation. The Cuban mob's power stemmed from a criminal culture embedded in South Florida's exile community, those who had been chased from the island by Castro's revolution. So, TJ, I have to ask you right from the top, is Scarface pretty accurate? Well, uh, honestly, no. Scarface is a fictionalized film about uh, Mario Lito, about a refugee that came over in the 1980s as part of the Mariel Boatlift when Castro um, un- un- emptied out his prisons and mental hospitals and allowed these uh, migrants to sail to the United States. That- that's the historical framework for the telling of that story. Uh-huh. The story itself, I would say, is kind of a- the movie itself is kind of an overheated sure. version sure. of that history. Uh, it's certainly an entertaining movie. I've seen it a few times. Yeah. I find it very entertaining, but I think it takes, uh, it plays fast and loose with a lot of true historical events. You know, I have to tell you, TJ, because I've been in the, the radio business for 48 years, uh, whenever I go from town to town, I check demographics, you know, because it, it fascinates me. Demographics are what radio careers are based on. So uh, it fascinates mm-hmm. me from city to city. And I have a, a good friend who does, uh, he's the number one morning guy in Miami. 
guy named Paul Castronovo. And uh, I, Catherine and I, my wife and I, had dinner with uh, Paul about a month ago when we were talking about the demographics of Miami, the entire metro, not just the city itself, but the, the, the metro area of Miami. And the metro area of sure. Miami now is 70% Spanish, tw- uh, 20% black, and 10% white. Uh, 70% of the people who live in the Miami area are Spanish. Uh, so does that surprise you at all? No, no, not at all. It's very much a, a Caribbean city. Right. You, you get that feeling when you're there. And what what the Cubans have created there is pretty extraordinary. Um, I think unlike any other sort of ethnic regional part of the United States, perhaps because of its close proximity to Cuba, but mostly because of the political turmoil of the revolution mm-hmm. and how that caused a kind of generation of exiles who were forced out of Cuba and established their own enclave and really saw themselves as Cubans in the United States as, as opposed to uh, Cuban-Americans. Right. And so they proceeded to create a very uh, homogeneous community where they mostly spoke Spanish and they mostly hung out with other Cubans and they worked hard and created a very prosperous community there and and it's been a pretty uh, extraordinary success story, an American success story for Cubans. It's fascinating to me to look at all of the connections between obviously particularly the state of Florida and and Cuba. Uh, Henry Flagler a hundred and some years ago was wanted to build a, a a railroad track that ran from Key West to Cuba. Now I don't know how he was going to do that because I got to believe that the Florida Straits get a couple of hundred feet deep at least out there. So I don't know how he was going to pull that yeah. off. But but he actually did build part of it. But it's only about a city block long now. Is about all he got out of it. People don't realize that Henry Flagler. Uh, he did so many things in Florida was unbelievable, but he built the train track that went from the mainland all the way down to uh, to Key West. Some of it is still there, and it's actually very prominent. You drive down to Key West from Miami, you will see that rail railway. It's pretty fascinating what they tried to do, but they wanted. Was there ever a time when Cuba almost became part of the United States, a la Puerto Rico? No, not really. There was a time no. in 1898 when there was the Spanish-American War, mm-hmm. and uh, the United States became involved in that conflict, uh, and uh, they uh, they defeated Spain. And for a period of time, the United States was the uh, colonial rulers of that island for a few years before Cuban independence. So in a sense, there was a sh- very brief period there where it was sort of like Puerto Rico. Right. Uh, but that changed quickly. Yeah, absolutely. The, obviously, the great scene in The Godfather when in the 1950s, uh, late 50s, I guess it would have been, uh, the casinos and all the rest of it, 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 was, it was a holiday destination. There's no question about that. An epic story of gangsters, drugs, yes. violence, sex, murder rooted in the streets. The corporation reveals how an entire generation of political exiles... Refugees, racketeers, corrupt cops, hit men, and their wives and girlfriends became caught up in an American saga of desperation and empire building. Did the gangsters, or do the gangsters to this day, did they prey on other Cuban immigrants? Uh, was it everybody, or did they did they have a focus? 
Well, you know, interestingly enough, this this criminal organization that became known as the Corporation didn't start in South Florida and Miami. It started in Union City, New Jersey. Really? Oh. The, the mob boss of this organization was a guy named Jose Miguel Battle, who had been a vice cop in Havana in the 1950s. And when he was there, he met a lot of those prominent American mafiosi, Meyer Lansky, sure. Tropicante. In fact, he served as a bagman for the mob, delivering payments from the mobsters to the presidential palace. And so when he came to the United States, he had these underworld contacts, mafia contacts, and he met with them and formed a partnership with them that allowed him to begin this criminal organization that was all based on one racket, uh, what the Latinos refer to as bolita, betting the number, oh, betting sure. a daily number. It's now called the lottery, and it's legal, and it's uh, overseen by state governments and federal governments. But there was a time when the lottery was not legal, and it was controlled by organized crime. And Jose Miguel Battle was a visionary. He recognized it in the in the in the in the shadows of the revolution, there was going to be tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Cubans coming to the United States, and many of them that liked to bet the number. And uh, he sort of got in on the ground floor and created this multi-layered Volita organization that ran all the way from the New York, New Jersey area down to South Florida in partnership with the mafia. And it was an incredibly profitable operation for about 30 or 40 years and until the Cubans and the Italians did have a falling out and, and did go to war mm-hmm. with each other. And then it turned very ugly and there were a lot of uh, casualties. But in answer to your question, uh, preying on their own, there was a, certainly an element of that. But Bolito was very a very popular activity within the culture. And it wasn't seen as a organized crime activity. Little old ladies met the number. Parish priests bet the number. The uh, off-duty cops bet the number. <laughs> it was a very common activity within the community. It was part of the community. Nobody really thought of it as a violent, uh, gangster-related un- undertaking. And so it was almost like a service service economy uh, within the, a leisure economy within the community. Now, what happens? And it put a lot of Cubans to work, by the way. But what happens is. Uh, they became a victim of their own success. It was so profitable that, that greed set in, and gangsters started to vie for control of certain territories and rivalries within the organization. And then it did turn inward, and, and it became uh, sort of internally destructive. Right. And eventually that's a big part of what did bring this organization down. Yeah, it is amazing, because it, 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 no matter where you are, uh, particularly in America, it... it seems to begin and end in the very, very same manner. It, it, it's an interesting thing to follow uh, from beginning to end. It, it, yeah, when, when it begins to turn totally inward, it's like, eh. Uh, it, it's well, interesting. Yes, you're right. It, it, and I've come to believe, it after ri- having written a number of these books from different points of view and different angles, different ethnicities. I mean, I'm Irish-American. I've written three nonfiction books about the history of the Irish-American underworld. Right. I've come to the conclusion that there's just something very American about this story, the yeah. story of, yeah. of... It's really a story of assimilation, American assimilation. It involves this kind of organized crime and criminality and gangsterism that often does start within the own, their own communities and then expands outward from there. 
this this version is the Cuban American version of it, it winds up being fascinating and kind of unique because of the Cuban Revolution and how this all takes place uh, in the aftermath of the revolution. Because Jose Miguel Battle and many of the leading members of this organization had been veterans of the Bay of Pigs invasion, which was an attempt to overthrow Cuba and take back Cuba and kill Fidel Castro. And it was a disaster for everyone involved. They wound up, Castro knew they were coming and they wound up most of many of them got killed, and the rest of them wound up in prison. And when they got out of prison, they came to the U.S. Jose Miguel Battle formed this criminal organization, but he never gave up the dream of killing Fidel and taking back Cuba. And so that's sort of the the underpinning or the cultural and political framework of of this particular American version of of an underworld story. See, I got to tell you, TJ, that's what I love about your books is there's, there's an American element, uh, the Cuban, uh, Cuban, uh, Cuban element and kind of a worldly element. I, I love the way you write and, and include different cultures and kind of intermingle because, it, yeah, it always seems like you have, several different cultures have to uh, partake in order for it to be truly successful. And then eventually it turns inward and then completely falls apart. It's fascinating to me. Because it's real life. Yes, absolutely. Yes, and it is, and there is something very American about this story. And in many yeah. ways, yeah, it involves it involves criminal activity and gangsters. But in many ways, what these stories are are people within a community, uh, sort of assuming uh, the role of of creating a path to power for their community, starting on the outside and trying to find a way inside. And you'll find a lot of gangsters believe that they're, they believe, maybe it's a delusion, they tell themselves that part of what they're doing is trying to help their people or make right. advancements for their people. Right. They, all, they all have that. And Jose Miguel Battle certainly had that. He saw himself as involved in a noble undertaking. His version of a noble undertaking was to, was to kill Castro and reclaim the, 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 the mother country that, that had been lost in the revolution. And so he had a lot of sympathy within the community, um, a lot of supporters, even as it became apparent that this guy was a very ruthless gangster. You know what fascinates me? We, we have less than a minute left, unfortunately, TJ. Uh, I love talking to you, but I went and grabbed a sandwich a couple of days ago, and there was a young guy behind the counter. This guy could not have been more than 30 years old. He looked to be, I don't know, he, he was not Spanish. I can guarantee you that. And I looked at his right bicep, and on his right bicep, he had a tattoo of Che Guevara. And I thought to myself, yeah. <laughs> How, do you know who Che Guevara was and what he did? And that's your hero? Yeah. It amazes me, too. Yeah, yeah that's an interesting phenomenon, how Che Guevara has, has become kind of a, a hero of the left. The Che t-shirts and the yeah. Che tattoos. And you talk to someone who who is sporting this image and it's apparent within the first few seconds you speak to them that they don't really know who Che was. No. no. Uh, but he's become a, a cultural icon. Yeah, no doubt. TJ, please come back soon. I love your books. I love talking to you. You're a great Would interview. Love to. I appreciate your time, sir. TJ Thank English, you. Thank ladies. you very much. Thank you, sir. The Corporation, an epic story of the Cuban-American underworld. If you've never read a TJ English book, do it. Do yourself a favor. They're phenomenal books. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Tom Bernard Show.